This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next hour and a half. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher behind the glass. Sarah Cazell. You're the only one dancing. I feel like we just kind of hung you out to dry. It's usually just me dancing. Yeah, I like meant always. I meant for the last three years. I feel oh. like we've been hanging you out to dry. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. I'm just telling you. Well, I guess you, you stopped dancing. I don't. I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't really need anybody else to dance for me to feel good about dancing. So I'm. <laughs> it it could be thing. worse. Jarrett used to be the one that danced. Yeah, I think he's actually the one that started that. He is. Ugh. I'm just carrying on Jarrett's tradition, which now that I'm saying that out loud, that is a bad place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, to your point, you do not need uh, your cool dancing wherever. (laughs) Thanks for your permission. (laughs) No, I'm just saying you. You don't need music. You don't need anything. Oh, yeah. You are more than confident enough to just start dancing in the newsroom. Got all all the music up in my noggin. It's all good. What's playing up there right now? It's always Lil John. Okay. For me, it's that stinking song by the weekend ever since the halftime. Thanks for that, because you got it stuck in my head yesterday after the show. (laughs) I love how Sarah looked at me like I was doing that. You I'm telling you, make it no, stop, please. It wasn't. It wasn't. Wow. We need that as rejoin music next segment, by the way. But not not you humming it, Cody. Just the actual song. I got it covered. Don't Th- worry. That's the only way to get rid of. If a song is stuck in your head, this is, is it's common knowledge. You have to then play the song, listen to the whole thing, and it will go away. Is that really how that works? If it's going to go away, if you've had some, I don't know, awful song stuck in your head for eight years, then that's a certain point you can't get it out. I think that logic is flawed try it we'll play it when we come back and it'll it'll get rid of it we'll 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 test that science later yeah all right uh phoenix suns in action tonight this is one of those games you just you can't miss so either well i guess you could be one of 1500 people going to the game uh you could be listening to it here which is what you should be doing and uh you could watch it on tv you could do all those things you bring a little tv to the game and listen to us and just and, and indulge in this game on three different levels because we don't have finalization as to whether or not Chris Paul is going to play, and I get that Drew Holiday isn't going to play, but you are talking a lot of all-star players or future all-stars on the court. Milwaukee's a team you got to see. In years past, this would have been one of the games I circled on the calendar of like, yeah, I'm definitely either covering or going to that game as a fan because it's your one chance to see Giannis in person. And Chris Middleton is under the radar really, really good. They've got two... They've got a really good player in Chris Middleton and on any given night, the best player in the world in Giannis. But the difference is this year, you're also going for the Suns because you're going to see Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, potentially Chris Paul, Giannis, and, and Chris Middleton all on the court. That's, that's six either have already been all-stars or are going to be all-stars all right there in one game. And the Suns, for as much as they stumbled there a little bit, and I get they lost a couple games to Denver, although... It took three overtimes for them to lose two games to Denver uh, in late January. For the most part, when they play these really good teams, they step up. Now, you could make a case that Milwaukee's the best team that they've played so far. I know they played the Clippers, so that's why it's kind of, you know, and Utah has the best record. I mean, they beat Utah, but that was all the way back uh, on, on New Year's Eve. Doesn't minimize the win, but I'm just saying, like, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be some combination of the Lakers, the Clippers, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, those are probably your four best teams in the NBA. 
Suns step up against a lot of those teams. They've already beat Denver this year once. I know they lost to them twice. They've already beat Utah once. They rallied from, what were they down, like 22? They were down 20 to the Clippers on January 3rd and came back and they got, they got within two in that one. Beat Boston over the weekend. I know Boston was missing a couple players, but still, it's, um, they're not intimidated, this Suns group. And they shouldn't be. They really, you know, maybe they're not quite at the level of, you know, top of the league, top four or five team. But I'll tell you what, they're fourth in the Western Conference right now. And we are a third of the way through the season after tonight's game. And they're five games out of first place in the Western Conference. And they've beaten that team in first. The team in first is Utah right now. It's not even the Lakers. At the end of the day, or I guess I should say at the end of the regular season, I'm still where I was with this team two months ago. I just want the Suns to finish in the top six in the Western Conference. Get in the playoffs. Don't get stuck in that play-in mess from 7-10. to 10. Be a top six team. If you're a top six team, you're likely not opening against the Lakers in the first round. And as, as fun as it would be on some level to be, okay, Suns, Lakers in the playoffs, that's great. It, cool. I, I'll, I'll get excited about that in the second round if we get there. I want the Suns in the playoffs in a series that they feel like and that we all feel like they have a legitimate shot to win. You know, in the bubble last year, it's like, hey, go 8-0. Karis LeVert hits that shot and you get in over Portland or whatever. Probably going to lose in four or five to the Lakers, but whatever. Get in there and get that experience. I'm past that now. And I know they haven't, they didn't even get that experience last year because Karis LeVert didn't make the shot for Brooklyn against Portland. But now it's like, you got a good enough team. Get in their top six. Don't waste your time in that play-in stuff. Just be in the, in the playoffs. And right now, the Suns would play the Trailblazers in the first round of the playoffs. That'd be a lot of fun, and I think a lot of people would pick the Suns. So just keep yourself in that position. If they lose to Milwaukee tonight, that doesn't like all go out the window. And if you beat Milwaukee, that doesn't suddenly make you amazing. But we've seen it build with this team. I would say really over like the last year and a half, maybe two years. Really ever since they got Monty Williams. There was a good four or five years in there where they weren't building towards anything. But since they got Monty Williams, it really... You, know, you, you see what they do when they have consistency from one year to the next with the same coach. DeAndre Ayton taking some steps forward. Mikel Bridges taking steps forward. You have that experience in the bubble. Beating teams like Milwaukee, and I know they did this last year already, but wins like that, kind of, you start stacking those, you start building those, and it does something for your, just, your, your collective team self-confidence. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Start in the NFL where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had their boat parade to celebrate winning the Super Bowl. And um, if you haven't been on social media at any point today, eh, feel free to just jump on and watch some of the videos of Tom Brady after celebrating the uh, boat parade. And now everybody was making jokes about it. He looks he looks a little um, he's stumbling around a little bit after the boat parade. Maybe uh, had a hard time with the sun. I don't know. But uh, everybody, everybody's obviously making jokes on social media. Tom Brady jumped in, made some jokes about himself on social media. So that's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just becoming commonplace for teams from Tampa or L.A. to win every championship now. In the last calendar year, would have had the, the Lakers win, the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup, and they did a boat parade too. Um, obviously the Dodgers and now the uh, Buccaneers. So I don't know what what uh, 
<laughs> well, everything changed 11 months ago, but I don't know how that suddenly turned into L.A. and Tampa winning every championship. But, uh, yeah, Tampa Bay celebrating their Super Bowl today. There's also a video of Brady throwing the Lombardi trophy from one boat to the next and, uh, of course, Gronk catching it. March Madness, you heard Burns and Gambo and, and me there at the end talking about it. The schedule calls for the first round to begin on Friday this year. So the first round will be Friday, Saturday. The second round will be Sunday, Monday. We don't get that sacred Thursday morning. Uh, I'm not going into work. I mean, here we obviously are because we're working in sports, so you go and work more. But instead of a, a normal job, you're, you're, I suddenly can't go into work that Thursday. I've done that. I've, I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Thursdays to start March Madness at former jobs where I either couldn't go in or had to have my laptop there for uh, certain reasons to watch games. One of the best days on the sports calendar, maybe the best, honestly. And if they are moving it temporarily this year, fine. We didn't even have March Madness last year, so just get me March Madness. If you're doing this permanently, not a fan. Not, not even not a fan. Openly and aggressively hate it. If you're doing it just for this year and, you know, there's, there's different considerations you got to think about. And so having everybody there a day later maybe makes the whole tournament a day shorter in real time. Whatever. If you got to do that, it's fine. If you're doing this because you want to, like, highlight the play-in games, no. And I say this as somebody who went to a school that seems to be in the play-in game every year now with ASU. Don't mess with that Thursday, Friday of March Madness. A lot has changed in the last year in sports. Don't mess with the Thursday-Friday combo to start March Madness. Those are, we're going to talk about this later on the show. We'll go through the top five days on the sports calendar. There's not a lot that I would put above that. Not not very many at all. And uh, back to the NBA, Phoenix Suns are going to start allowing up to 3,000 fans per game. Uh, It'll start February 16th against the Brooklyn Nets, so a week from last night. So the, uh, the Suns, they went to 1,500 uh, this past Sunday, and then that wasn't really open to, to all fans. But then obviously Monday against Cleveland went to 1,500 for, for all fans. And tonight, and it, they're not going to jump to 3,000 until next Tuesday against Brooklyn. But that is the next step for the Phoenix Suns. What a the homestand they have here with Milwaukee tonight and Philadelphia over the weekend and uh, Brooklyn uh, next Tuesday. All right, when we come back, Todd McShay has his newest mock draft out there. What does it mean for the Cardinals? And, and what are we seeing just around the NFL in general? The offseason's always busy, but we could see things shift dramatically this year. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you. I know I teased the McShay mock. We'll get to that here in this segment, too. But I do want to start with the uh, the Phoenix Suns and the cover story, ESPN, the magazine. It's called The Rise of Devin Booker. Pretty good read by Michael Wilbon. Uh, you know, Wilbon's a great writer, too, but a lot to work with here. And, and, you know, I don't know that there's going to be a ton in there that hardcore Suns fans don't already know, but there's going to be some. But also, if you're a hardcore Suns fan, don't you just love this? It feels like the rest of the NBA is catching on to what we've already known for over five seasons now. Now, I remember the night, I remember the night Booker got drafted and we're driving back from the NHL awards show 
in Vegas, and the Suns got him. And I just I remember, I mean, because he's on that Kentucky team that basically had <laughs> what they had nine McDonald's All Americans. He was the fourth Kentucky player drafted in that draft. But I just remember the the instant analysis was, oh, the Suns just got a really good shooter at thirteen. You're not supposed to be able to get a guy at thirteen that you know when you got him. And, and I'm not going to pretend to think to to say that I thought Devin Booker was going to be this good on draft night. I just remember being like, ah, they're picking 13, and they got a guy that's pretty good. Like, he never started for Kentucky, yeah. did he? He was their sixth man mostly, right? Yeah. Well, because they would rotate like five. They just they basically had two lineups that they could rotate through. No, he didn't. And uh, it, it it's funny, too, because you go through those years where it was like the Suns, it's like, oh, we you know we got to get the best possible draft pick we can, overpicking oh, fifth, overpicking oh, fourth and eighth, overpicking, oh, you know, wherever. And, and none of those guys are anywhere near as as good as Devin Booker was by like his second year. Really by his second game. But it's it is cool to see this additional hype around him now. I've said this in the past. I really feel like I mean 2020 just flat out sucked for everybody. But as far as that basketball season, I'm not sure anybody raised their profile in in the world of basketball more than Devin Booker. From all the way back to the discussion as to whether or not he should have been playing for Team USA way back before last season, that at least got like people talking about him nationally. Then you saw what he did last year, and the Suns were a little bit better. And then you get to the bubble, and you know he's got he's he now has a more high profile uh, just lifestyle off the court. But then th- what he did in the bubble, I mean, he would have been the MVP of the bubble if not for Damian Lillard in that in that uh, initial round before the playoffs, obviously. And now he comes out here and this team is better and, and, and Chris Paul is a big part of, of that. But you know, a big part of Chris Paul coming here is Devin Booker. It's um it's like I said, this is as a sports fan, you want you want like the rest of the country and the rest of the league to respect your players, right? I know Suns fans are this way. I I, I know Valley fans are this way with, with all their teams. You don't live in New York or LA or Boston where it's like if you have a, an okay player, he gets built up to being amazing. In Phoenix, like you got to kind of you, you got to have your guys fight for that sort of respect nationally. And Devin Booker, and Book even says it. There's a video with this too. I mean, he knew it. The team's not winning. People aren't going to look at Devin Booker in the NBA. They're looking, you know, they're looking at the Lakers. They're looking at the Cavs when LeBron was there. They're looking at the Warriors those years. I mean, look at the teams that were truly successful since Devin Booker came into the NBA. People are looking at those teams or they're looking at like, you know, four and five seeds, but four and five seeds that have Kevin Durant or James Harden or Russell Westbrook or Giannis, you know, people nationally just really, they're behind the curve here on Devin Booker, but you understand why, because now the team is finally, it's winning and what they did in the bubble, I just raised his profile so much and it should, I mean, he was the driving force behind it, but yeah, certainly take a, take a look at that one. Uh, on ESPN, it's their feature story, and there's really good. It's about seven minute video that goes along with it. And um, here I have some of the audio actually. I'm see if I can find any of the Michael Wilbon just talking about that run that the Suns made in the bubble and what that did for Booker. Of course, you know it, when you have Chris on the floor and you have Devin playing the way he's playing, you have DeAndre emerging um, and continuing to improve, and you have Mikael and Cam Johnson playing, you know, at a high level. Um, you have to take notice, and and you know, so we've we've said all along we need to continue to improve, and, and the more we improve, uh, the tougher it'll get. The more uh, teams will start to target us, 
and that's good because that prepares you to be the hunted. Yeah, obviously not uh, not Michael Webb on there. That's James Jones. So <laughs> it still applies. Still talking about the Suns, but now I'm nervous to play this other clip that should be Devin Booker talking about Kobe. Hopefully it is. If it isn't, I will uh, I will stop it. But if it is, it's it's a it's a great clip here. There's supposedly this is Devin Booker talking about Kobe Bryant. Every step of the way, Booker's talent was understated, but it wasn't completely unnoticed, especially by one legend ending his career, Kobe Bryant. We had a short conversation on the court, and then he left me with, you know, meet me in the back. You know, let's chop it up for a little bit. I said a dream come true for Devin Booker to meet his hero, Kobe Bryant. I thought it was going to be a two to three minute combo and ended up being 15 to 20 minutes post game. And that's when he signed the shoes to me. One shoe said to the young one and the next one was to book be legendary. I got be legendary tattered on my arm. That's something that Kobe left me with, you know, in our in our final game against each other. That still keeps me motivated and will always keep me going. The NBA world now knows who Devin Booker is. It just has to wait to see what he will become. I work and sacrifice a lot of my life to get to this position. This is everything I ever asked for. Yeah, good stuff there. There's, uh, there's part of the story, too, where he, where Booker talks about that last matchup, and he, he decided going up against Kobe Bryant, he would go to the Kobe fadeaway, and it didn't work. But uh, as you heard right there, that, that, sort of, that started a good uh, mentorship. Right there, so good story, good uh, good publicity for the Suns. Obviously, just a bigger. It's indicative of the bigger picture of this team has really got the rest of the league taking notice now. <laughs> there it is. Uh, the Todd McShay mock draft, and I will always direct you during draft season and mock draft season to the Arizona Sports mock draft tracker that goes through who all these different mocks have the Cardinals taking. And it's up there on ArizonaSports.com. I'm not going to read all the names right now, but just to give you a sense of how all over the place it is when you're picking 16th and you have a lot of needs, the last, I don't know, five, six, seven on there, they have them going corner, defensive line, edge, wide receiver, corner, guard, corner, corner, edge. There's, they're all over the place. Todd McShay put out his most recent mock draft, or his newest mock draft, today. And at 16, he has the Cardinals taking Gregory Rousseau out of Miami. And unless I miss something, that's the first edge rusher he has going in this draft, which... I will continue to say this. When you are a team like the Cardinals that has a variety of legitimate needs, if they go corner there, if they go wide receiver there, if they go offensive line, if they look at Kyler Murray's Twitter account and decide to go offensive line, if they go edge rusher, any of those is going to be acceptable. But I'd rather have the best edge rusher than the number four receiver or you know the number three corner. I, I think at 16, you can still get the best at a position. And that's where McShay has them going with Gregory Rousseau out of Miami, uh, giving them the first true edge rusher off the board. Looking at the top of the draft, I won't give away his whole draft, but I mean, obviously Lawrence at one has Zach Wilson going to the Jets at two. And that seems to be coming more and more of a pick that people within the uh, the industry and within the NFL are, are pretty confident is going to happen. So nothing against Justin Fields, and this isn't my mock draft, 
But uh, he does seem to be slipping a little bit, at least in terms of competition with Zach Wilson for that number two quarterback. Now, this is why I like McShay's mock draft, because this is this is like the way it really is. His first four picks are all quarterbacks. I don't know if the first four picks will be quarterbacks, but you know my feelings on mock drafts that come out in early January, and they're like, well, we have two quarterbacks going in the first round, one at three and one at 17. Cool. So you've never watched the NFL draft before. So he has Miami taking a quarterback? He has Miami making a trade. Ah. With, uh, <laughs> with, uh, or as he calls it, a mock trade. I like those mock drafts that do trades. Yeah. He has, Which um, is even more unpredictable yeah. than the <laughs> trying to figure out who's drafting who. I remember in college one year, they would, they would put out the, like, if you can pick, if you can guess the top 10 picks in the draft in order, you win, like, a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. And I was always like, 10? 10, 10's easy, because you know the first pick usually, and they can piece together, and then like by the fourth pick, it was just ruined because there was a trade. Uh, yeah, he has Lawrence going one. He has Zach Wilson to the Jets, too. He has Carolina trading with Miami to take Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. So still not Justin Fields. Wow. His field's That's going surprising. to Atlanta. Yeah. Um, for, for a while there, it seemed like Lawrence and Fields would be the number one and number two, like, without a doubt. I know Jets fans who, when they won their game, who did they beat? They didn't beat the Raiders, but the next week, when they, uh, they ended up winning and they... I know Jets fans who were so fixated on Trevor Lawrence from like two seasons ago, and it looked like they were going to get him. And then when they won a game and dropped behind Jacksonville, they immediately were like, well, you know, Justin Fields just as good. All right. Well, if you believe that, you can take him with the second pick. You might be able to trade down and take him with the fourth or fifth pick. But uh, yeah, Gregory Rousseau to the uh, the Cardinals and uh, and McShay's mock. So that's that would help that uh, would help the defense out for sure. All right, when we come back, we're going to hear from Brian Windhorst, get his thoughts on the state of the NBA and specifically how the Phoenix Suns have built this team that is now 14-9 and uh, winners of six of their last seven. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Luke Lipinski back here with you. The Arizona Coyotes now 6-5-1 on the season. They've won three in a row. All against St. Louis. They've played four in a row against St. Louis. They will play seven in a row against St. Louis. Joining us to talk about it on the Culture Automotive Group Sportsline right now from AZ Coyotes Insider and also from the Natural Hat Trick podcast you can find here on ArizonaSports.com, Craig Morgan. Craig, how are you doing tonight? I thought we were here to talk about show tunes. Well, we are. Um, sure, go ahead. Why don't you, why don't you start? <laughs> I don't know anything about show tunes. I got nothing more than that. I oh. just had a weird alarm go off. It surprised me. Oh, okay. Well, that's, so, that's good. It reminded me that I was coming on your show, though. So I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> how, how do you feel about the Coyotes playing all 56 games against St. Louis if it comes down to it? Well, it may come to that, uh, the way the NHL season is going right now with more and more games being canceled. I think we had another one postponed today, so uh, I'm not sure what the count is, but it, it's getting out of control here. And, and that's another story, but it hasn't, you know, the COVID hasn't hit the Coyotes in terms of taking some of their players out of the lineup. So that's a plus. And, and obviously the way they played in St. Louis was, I don't think we can emphasize this enough, Luke. That was really impressive. That's a team that expects to contend for the Cup. Uh, they won the cup two seasons ago. That's a really good team. And to go on the road and beat them three straight games is a really difficult thing to do. If you listen to the Blues talking before that last game, the coach, the players, 
they really felt like they had to have that next game. They were going to throw everything they had at the Coyotes, really play that heavy style, get the four check going, and yet the Coyotes tie it up late and win in a shootout. And they just seem to have the Blues number right now. Yeah, it was a Conn Smythe Trophy winner, 2019 Conn Smythe Trophy winner Ryan O'Reilly. Wasn't real happy after the game. But I made this point the other day to somebody. It is, you know, you beat a team like St. Louis three times in a row, and that's impressive no matter how you do it. But to do it three straight games in their building and, and after you just played them. So it's four, like it's not like they beat the Blues and then, you know, two months from now they beat the Blues because St. Louis has a couple injuries. And then at the end of the season, the Blues are already in. The Coyotes catch them again then. This is three straight. And to your point, the Blues are like, enough of this. And the Coyotes still beat them anyway. Yeah, that's it. And, I, you know, look, they had a chance to win that other game too. I, I don't know if this is just a situation where one team matches up well with another or has its number. We'll see when they start actually playing other teams, assuming they will play other teams. <laughs> but again, it's it's just really impressive to beat a team that that a lot of a lot of folks think can contend for a cup this season. Uh, one thing that has been, I mean, look, Coyotes have played twelve games, and eight of them have been against St. Louis and Vegas. So you can only read so much into this. But even in the San Jose and Anaheim series, that were just two gamers. They've gotten better for the most part as these series have gone on. And I, I would say this, too. I mean, out of 12 games, Craig, I think they've played well for parts of or all of 11 of those 12 games. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And Rick, Rick Tockett said that himself on a Zoom call recently. There's only one game where they were really out of it. So when you, And you just mentioned it, too. They played most of their games against St. Louis and Vegas. Those are two of the best teams in the NHL. So... What happens when they start getting, you know, what Minnesota has had so far, a steady diet of California teams? Can they take advantage of that and go on a run? Again, we're going to have to wait and see. Hopefully that will actually happen. They'll play those games. I don't know what's going to happen with this season. But, I, you know, when you, you look at their record, you say, well, they're just above 500. But when you consider who they've played thus far, I think they're in a good position right now. Yeah, you mentioned Minnesota, and they are a team that they've come back to earth a little bit. They're 6-5, and five, but most people believed coming into the season it would come down to the Coyotes or Minnesota for that fourth playoff spot because you're in a division with Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado. Those three teams are getting in. I mean, is there any sort of indication as to how they can make up the games against Minnesota specifically? Because it'd be weird to be in a playoff race against a team in your division that you're just not playing. Not at this point. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen. The, the, as we knew coming in, you know, everyone was saying it. I guess we didn't know it, but everyone was preparing us for the idea that this the schedule is going to be very fluid. So we'll have to wait and see. I mean, they do have some dates later in the season where they can fill in some of those games. Uh, but we're going to, you know, we'll have to assume that other games won't be postponed and they'll just run out of available dates. It may come to the point where they, they just play less games, Luke, uh, and an even uneven number of games between the teams, too. So, we have to go on winning percentage just like we did uh, last season when they chose the playoff teams. Um, we'll get back to the Coyotes in a second, but I assume if Toronto goes on a run and makes the Stanley Cup, that Canadian division's never going away. <laughs> Let's hope so, actually. You know, I've, I've been thinking about realignment. You know how I feel about it. You know how I feel about the NHL's plans for realignment, which is basically moving the Coyotes and not worrying about anyone else. <laughs> I would like to see them, you know, I've written this before. I'd love to see them go to the NFL model where they have eight, 14 divisions. I think that works well. And with Seattle coming in, they will obviously have 32 divisions. But if they want to stick with four, 18 divisions, how about keeping that Canadian division, ensuring that a Canadian team makes the final four every year? And maybe you just move like Buffalo into the Canadian division because they're basically in Canada anyway. And 
they don't really have much say, do they? They probably have more say than the Coyotes. But, hey, if, it, if somebody else is actually interested in realigning the divisions another way than the league has planned, maybe that will carry more weight than just the Canadians cry, or the uh, Coyotes crying out here in the wilderness. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, you're painting a very uh, vivid wildlife picture there with Coyotes crying out in the wilderness. I'd be all for the Canadian division. I just I don't like the model where one team from each division makes the playoffs and, and you're only playing playoff games against your division. But back to the Coyotes, Clayton Keller struggled. He had a couple good games against San Jose and then really disappeared against Vegas and Anaheim. He always plays well against St. Louis. I'm assuming he's behind this schedule where they play St. Louis seven straight times because he has gotten going, specifically that game-tying goal the other night with seven-tenths of a second left. Craig, you've covered this team for a long time, too. That's not a goal the Coyotes usually score. That's a goal the Coyotes usually get scored against them. Yes, I mean, we we know what they've done with the goalie pulled in the past few years. It it hasn't been pretty. It's it's not even like they, they get a lot of chances. It's just ugly to watch the last couple seasons, so... That's a nice sign. And you mentioned Clayton Keller. Look, I think a lot of what's going on with him recently is the line mates. He's, he has to play a certain way with those guys. It, and there's a lot less, I think, thinking. Uh, Rick Tockett talked about this, how when he gets into the offensive zone, he's always looking to make that extra play instead of just thinking, get it to the net or get to the net myself. Uh, I think you're seeing a little bit more of a direct Clayton Keller lately and and again, I, I think his line mates are helping that with the way they're playing, Connor Garland and Nick Schmaltz. But hopefully he can get going because if, if all three members of that line are going, man, they are, they're, they've been fun to watch, Luke. That's been a really electric line. And if you look at the underlying numbers, their possession numbers, they're elite right now. Yeah, a legitimate skill line for the Coyotes. And I know Rick Tockett <laughs> jokingly called him the short leash line at first because he's like, if you guys don't play defense, we're breaking this up. They have. They've played well. Um, talking to Craig Morgan of AZ Coyotes Insider and, of course, the Natural Hattrick podcast here on ArizonaSports.com with myself. On that podcast, we talked to Connor Garland a little bit before the season. He was on for a good 40 minutes just kind of going through what he has uh, in store for this upcoming season. And now we're here. He talked about the improvements he tried to make. Craig, Garland has improved each year he's been in the league, but the jump from Mm -hmm. last year to this year, it is remarkable. I mean, you talk about that line being elite in some ways. It's not only because of him, but there are good stretches of games where he looks legitimately elite. No no question about it. Yeah, you can't take your eyes off this guy when he's on the ice now. He's always doing something exciting. And, you know, he and Talk talked. Obviously, he, he mentioned in that story that I wrote earlier and on our podcast as well, that he wanted to become you know, more of the player that he was in juniors where he was facilitating as well as still scoring. But the thing that he talked about with Rick Tockett was playing with more structure, being more responsible away from the puck and, and in the defensive zone. He's done all of that. So you see him out in late-game situations and important situations because Rick Tockett just trusts him completely. And by the way, Connor Garland and Christian Dvorak are averaging more than a point per game. When's the last time? In fact, I know what the last time was. It was Ladislav Nagy that was the last <laughs> player in Coyotes history to average a point per game over a significant amount of games. Can you imagine if that happens? I mean, imagine if he becomes that type of player where he's a point-per-game player. Right now, the way he's playing, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, the skating, it's its ridiculous. He's so difficult to, to cover because if you've ever played hockey, those guys that just go right to left and right to left and just keep working with the puck, I mean, he just tires defensemen out. Uh, Craig, we, before we hit the uh, the break here, I want to ask you about Jacob Chikrin because the Coyotes have played a good chunk of this season without Oliver Ekman-Larsen, which is, is a major loss, but Chikrin has really stepped up as a number 1 defenseman. Yeah, I don't know where they'd be without his offense because they really hadn't been getting it 
from anyone other than OEL before he went out of the lineup. And then just very recently, Jordan Osterley has uh, chipped in with some points, but, but they're not getting a lot of offense from their defensemen. So he's been critical because that's, I mean, that's, that's the NHL now. You can't just do it with your forward lines. You need to get the defensemen involved. And he's been very involved. I have seen some signs from the other guys of, you know, you'll see guys get down toward the net, but Jacob Chikrin is taking advantage of that a lot. I think the one thing that if I have a criticism of his offense right now, he's just got to hit the net more. He's got a lot of missed shots and a lot of blocked shots. And I know they're talking to him about that. But again, he's, he's a young defenseman developing right before our eyes, and he's been, he's been really impressive so far. Nobody knows more about the Arizona Coyotes. Craig Morgan, great stuff. Thanks for the time, and I'm going to talk to you in like 12 hours when we record a podcast. <laughs> All right, Luke, I'll see you tomorrow. All right, thanks a lot. That's Craig Morgan joining us on the Culture Automotive Group Sports Line. Culture Cadillac Tempe, experience the difference. Visit culturecadillactempe.com. Again, check out his stuff on azcoyotesinsider.com and on the Natural Hattrick podcast right here on arizonasports.com. We're going to come back, and uh, we'll start hour number two with the reload. Next, it's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM. Arizona's sports station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher behind the glass. Still looking for updates on the Suns as far as uh, the injury report for tonight's game. We know Milwaukee's not going to have Drew Holiday. We know the Suns aren't going to have campaign or Dario Saric, and it sounds like they're not going to have Abdul Nader for this one either. But uh, according to our own Kellen Olsen, Monty Williams said that um, they're going to wait to the last possible second to make a decision on Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. be nice to have Chris Paul out there. This is the sort of, uh, I mean, it's nice to have him out there for every game. But uh, this, this is one of those must-see games. Like, this is one of those games where... The Suns are good now, and there's just kind of been a buzz all day around the Valley for this one because you got Giannis and a really good Milwaukee team coming to town. The two-time reigning MVP who's like one of the most likable players in the NBA, but you want to beat him tonight, send a statement to the rest of the league, and also win your fourth in a row and your seventh of your last eight, run your record to 15-9, to nine and, and close in on a top three spot in the Western Conference. Tonight marks the what, 24th game for the Suns, so this will be their, their third of the way through the season after tonight. And what better way to go into the second third than by potentially taking down Milwaukee. So that should be a good one at Phoenix Suns Arena. Late start because it's on ESPN. And, uh, and the Suns getting more and more national publicity. Had the Devin Booker cover story that Mike Wilbon put together. There's a, a video... Uh, that goes along with it, and you know it's it's not some of the stuff is stuff you know. You're a Suns fan, you you know Devin Booker well, but that stuff, you know, you see that, and you're like, good. I'm glad the rest of the country is finally catching on to this guy, and and appreciating how good he is. Because I think what's been frustrating for Suns fans over the last few years is it's not that NBA fans in other cities or you know media. Or you know, certainly not other players, but fans and media. It's not that they weren't talking about Devin Booker because they didn't think he was that good. It's just they weren't watching him. You know, if you're a basketball fan in Boston, how much are you really watching Devin Booker unless he's dropping 70 on you? But how much are you watching Devin Booker when the Suns are playing the Kings late at night and neither one of them's a playoff contender? 
There's so many high-profile teams in this league and so many high-profile players that the focus since Booker came into the league has been nationally on Golden State and uh, Cleveland or wherever LeBron is, now now L.A., and you know those other things, Oklahoma City maybe when they had uh, when they had Westbrook and Harden and certainly on on Philadelphia for the longest time with Embiid and Simmons and it's just the focus hasn't shifted out here to look at Devin Booker enough because the Suns haven't been good enough but now they are and uh, and and he's he's certainly he's certainly getting more and more of the spotlight. Uh, here's a clip from the video that uh, ESPN put out Mike Wilbon talking with Devin Booker about those first few years when you know he gets name called in the draft coming out of Kentucky where they had nine McDonald's All-Americans and he was barely even getting playing time still a lottery pick but he ends up on a team a Suns team that just wasn't winning for the longest time at just 18 years of age he was headed to one of the worst franchises in the NBA where they mess up a three-round run this is a comedy of errors, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I just feel bad because the reason I live in Phoenix, they got the best fans in the world. They deserve better. You know, obviously it has been, from a winning standpoint, terrible these first five years that I've been here. Over his first five seasons, Booker averaged nearly as many points per game, 22 and a half, as the Suns averaged wins, 24. Yeah, uh, like I said, not, not anything that you're... If you're a hardcore Suns fan that you don't already know, the, the Kobe Bryant story in there is pretty cool. But uh, if you're a hardcore Suns fan, you'll take you'll take kind of rehearing the story. It's called The Rise of Devin Booker. It's the cover story for ESPN. Uh, switching over to the NFL, the Super Bowl is not officially over until the uh, the winning team celebrates. And the Buccaneers did what the Tampa Bay Lightning did. They had a boat parade to celebrate. This is what happens when only warm weather teams win now. Is it Lakers, Lightning, Dodgers, and now the Buccaneers? So it's only LA and Tampa Bay teams winning all of a sudden. But uh, the Buccaneers had their celebration today. There's some videos of uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady was um, enjoying himself. Let's just put it that way. There's, there's at one point he throws the Lombardi Trophy. It looks like to uh, to Gronk in a boat right behind him. Uh, there's some video out there of Brady kind of stumbling off the boat and a lot of people making jokes on social media. And Tom Brady got in and made some jokes on social media, something about avocado-flavored tequila. So it's uh, it's a party in Tampa Bay right now. The Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. I think Kansas City is somewhere probably still just uh, in shock with how that all played out. Maybe not a shock. I mean, some of us did pick Tampa to win. Not a shock that uh, the Buccaneers won or the Chiefs lost, but uh, a shock of how it went down and how the Chiefs only scored nine points. I saw somebody said today that the Vegas odds, because you can bet on everything in the Super Bowl, the Vegas odds, if you wanted to bet on the Chiefs to score exactly nine points, were 200 to one. That's the crazy part of that game. It's not that Tom Brady won again. I mean, wins every other year. Uh, sticking with football, but specifically the Cardinals, Todd McShay has his latest mock draft out, and McShay, Kuyper, there's a few that, you know, you just take notice when these guys put a new version out. And so for um, McShay's mock draft, he works some trades in to this too, so some mock trades. He has four quarterbacks going with the first four picks. And he has Zach Wilson going number two in this one to the uh, the Jets. He's got Carolina trading up, but not taking Justin Fields. He has them taking up, uh, or taking Lance Trey with out of North Dakota State, 
Trey Lance, sorry. And then uh, Justin Fields at four to the Atlanta Falcons. He has the Cardinals taking Gregory Rousseau, the edge rusher out of Miami, out of the University of Miami. And that's the first edge rusher he has off the board. In fact, his first sentence is finally an edge rusher. The last time it took this long to see one drafted was 2004 when Will Smith went to the Saints at number 18. That's not all he has written about the Cardinals pick, but that's that's the first two sentences. Look, I've been pretty consistent in this. The Cardinals have quite a few needs for a team that was right on the fringe of making the playoffs. At 16, it's really tough to predict who's going to be there, obviously. But if I'm at that point and I'm like, okay, I I need a corner, I I could use a receiver, I could maybe use a guard even on the offensive line, maybe something like that, Uh, but I need an edge rusher. If it comes down to you know the number four receivers available, if three receivers are off the board and no edge rushers are off the board and I can have my pick of any edge rusher, I'm doing this. And in this scenario that Todd McShay uh, paints the picture of right here, yeah, Gregory Rousseau is the first edge rusher off the board to the Cardinals at 16. Back to the NBA and the Phoenix Suns specifically. They are going to allow more fans at the games starting next Tuesday, the game against Brooklyn. So they went to 1500 over the weekend on Sunday against Boston, and that was kind of a it was like a trial run. It wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't open to all fans, but obviously Monday against the Cavs was open to all fans to be able to get uh, up to 1500 capacity. They liked the way it went, and so now they've got Milwaukee tonight, Philadelphia Saturday, Orlando Sunday, and then to wrap up this seven game homestand against Brooklyn next Tuesday, they're going to bump the number up to 3000. And, you know, the, look, tonight's the game that gets them a third of the way through the season. But as far as the schedule that's out, tonight's game 24 for the Suns. There's only 11 more games scheduled after this because the NBA, and I like that they did this, but the NBA did that thing where they only scheduled out basically half the season. They scheduled out, I think, 37 Suns games, and obviously a couple of them got postponed. So they're going to have to make them up. They're going to they're gonna put together the second half of the schedule, but... That's the long way of saying that Brooklyn game on Tuesday next week where they're going to bump the the fan capacity up to 3,000. After that, they only actually have three home games officially scheduled right now. 22nd against uh, Portland, the 24th against Charlotte, and March 4th against the Golden State Warriors. All right, when we come back, we'll wrap up the show because we got uh, we got Bucks Suns coming up at the bottom of the hour. We're going to do the top five list, the top five most sacred days on the sports calendar. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's The Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski. Luke, I am your father. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Final segment of the show. We're going to go with a top five list. And in honor of the news, if you haven't heard it, talked about it a little bit in the first hour, that March Madness this year is going to start on a Friday. So that opening weekend of the, the real first round, not the play-in games. Uh, the real first round and second round, instead of going Thursday through Sunday, as it always has and always should, it's going to go Friday through Monday. Look, Thursday and Friday, March Madness are arguably the greatest sports days on the uh, the sporting calendar. I understand you're pushing it to Monday. Okay, it's still another weekday, whatever. But that's the end of the second round on Monday. That does not have the same pizzazz. I'm not always as invested in two random teams by the fourth day of March Madness because my bracket might be ruined by then, quite honestly. 
So, in honor of that, we're going to do top five days on the sports calendar. I don't have to explain to you how a top five list works. We're going to start. Uh, Bear, you go with, uh, give us your number five. Okay, number five. I'm going to go with Christmas Day basketball. It's, I mean, I just like having it on in the background of opening presents. It's just fun. Always good games, or usually. Usually, yeah, usually they're good games. We almost had the Suns on there this year, I feel like. At least there was a lot of hope that we would. Maybe they'll, next year. They'll be on. No, oh, I don't yeah. even think it's I, just maybe. I yeah. think definitely next year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I will say this without giving anything away. I had Christmas Day NBA just missed the cut. That was my sixth one on my list. So that was... Um, there's there's a lot of good ones here to choose from. Uh, number five on my list is opening day of Major League Baseball. Uh, not not like if there's a Sunday night game or whatever. Like the actual like there's baseball yes, on all day. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's great. And every year we watch it and we're like, hey, why doesn't baseball just have games on all day every every day of throughout the season? And they're like, no, that would make us more money and make everybody happy. <laughs> so we just go with no. Yeah. That means more people will watch us. Yeah, we away, gotta, away, gotta hide people. our product. <laughs> All right, number four for me is uh, Thanksgiving Day football. Ooh, I, I love I love Thanksgiving football. Not just I love Thanksgiving just for its own reasons, the food and all that. Yeah, but football on top of it. Usually, I mean, yeah, we got to watch the Lions play and the football team and the Cowboys play, but there's usually one really good matchup in there somewhere and. Didn't we? Th- wasn't it this past year? Yeah. This year we were. It was supposed to be like Steelers Ravens, yep. and then they had to postpone it. So yep. we only had two. They had to push it to like ah. the following Wednesday ah. afternoon or something. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and not everyone could watch it. No, yeah. that's. Um, but any any normal Thanksgiving Day football is amazing. It is. A, it's a great one. Didn't make my list either, but I do. I love Thanksgiving, and I think a lot of the reason I love it is because of football, and it it is. On some level, a letdown to have the Lions on every year, especially for Lions fans, I think. But in the great, everyone gets to see how bad yeah. we are. Cool. Can you all just look at another team, please? But in the era of fantasy football, there's at least you know, like the matchups in the NFL. For the most part, you can kind of be like, okay, well, fine, but I'm starting three players against the Lions on Thanksgiving morning, so it's I'm still invested. That's um, another thing I get to spend Thanksgiving looking at my fantasy team. Which I know makes you very happy. Hello, Grandma. Get away, please. I'm busy. <laughs> Hello, Grandma. You're, in, you're standing between me and the TV. I'm, I have Matt Stafford on my team. I do enjoy watching Dallas lose when they lose on Thanksgiving. That's like it's a nice oh, appetizer. Yeah, amazing. But the move to, to add, that, add that third game that's not tied where it has to be any one team they basically just pick a great game every year although this year didn't get played but um but yeah that was that was a huge step up uh number four and i know this is going to be higher this might be number one on your list but um it's my list so whatever number four for me is the first sunday of the nfl season I love the first Sunday of the end of the Thursday. I didn't night. think of that one actually. That's not on my list. Oh, see, at that point, for you who play fantasy football, your team's still in it. Oh yeah, it's the first week of the season. That first Sunday red zone. Oh, it's oh. great. It's great. That should move it higher up my list. Oh yeah, the so whole list would just be that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the reds. Uh, yeah, red zone. Another great uh, sporting invention. But um, yeah, the first Sunday because it's like the other thing with the NFL is we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be really good and really terrible each year going in. But there's like 26 teams in the middle that could be anything. And that first week of the season, well, the first week this year, Jacksonville beat the Colts. Yeah, that was their only win. <laughs> and, then never, and it was funny because they tweeted out, not satisfied with 1-0. Did you see that? 
and somebody after week 17 retweeted it. And I don't know who it was. And they were like, apparently they were satisfied with it. You know one. what? We did just like that one when that's all we needed. <laughs> we don't need to we don't need to brag with too many wins. <laughs> all right. Uh number three for me, you already had it on your list. MLB opening day. Um, and exactly like you said, not just that first Sunday night game or whatever it is. Uh, but the the day where there's baseball on all day on all the channels and Oh, I just I can't get enough of that. I'll just go home and have like one my laptop open and then on my TV another game. It's awesome. I love baseball if, opening day. If you I love going to opening day yeah. too. It's so much fun. There's, Didn't get to go this year. Very upset. There's that buzz, especially like if you're covering the games. Anybody that has covered baseball will tell you that like the old school baseball writers that have been covering this game since like Mike Schmidt was a rookie or something. They there's a certain point in the game, maybe this is behind the scenes, but whatever. There's a certain point in the game where if you're like, oh yeah, man, this game's going by really fast. In the seventh inning, it's only been like you know two. They will all stare at you like if this game goes extra what innings. Did you just do yes because they've been to eighty thousand baseball games and they don't need them. They don't need to be there for. I mean, especially if you're if you're a beat writer covering baseball, you get there for batting practice. You leave well after the game. It's a long day and it's every day. So I understand it, but opening day. They're all just like, this is amazing. Baseball's back. And so, uh, yeah. The nostalgia yeah. of it is it, just what gets me. And there's that energy in yeah. the stadium, too. And the, we're, all, we're all zero and zero. Yeah. We can all do this. <laughs> yeah, especially this past year. I mean, it wasn't as it wasn't as traditional, obviously. But when the Yankees played the Nationals, even though the game got like shortened by rain and there was all sorts yeah, of issues. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But with that, with everything that had been going on and how long we had waited for baseball, that was uh, that was huge. The shot have. of Rob Manfred with the lightning striking over his shoulder. It's like, you are cursed, sir. <laughs> no, I never. I actually never even saw that, really? that picture. That's yeah. funny. I know number three on my list is not on your list, but day one of the NHL playoffs, obviously for somebody like myself that loves hockey, when you get to the playoffs and there are 16 teams left, Pretty much 14 of them literally could win the Stanley Cup. So that first night where there's four or five, sometimes six games, that's, I would say it's as good as it gets. It basically is as good as it gets for me, but there's two days higher on this list. All right. Number two for me is Super Bowl Sunday. Mm. Um, Everything about it's great. Except for the game this this year, that was terrible. Yeah, and so boring. Horrendous. That's the that's like the only downside of Super Bowl Sunday is that you can just get a dud of a game. And this year, it was a dud of a game. And the only thing that made it relevant and kind of intriguing was that Tom Brady's fifty years old and about to win his <laughs> seventh Super Bowl. Um, and completely wasted on a boat in Tampa right now. Right, right. Dude, he looked like he was having fun. Did you see him? Did you see he, him? Quote tweet the uh, the video yes, that was out there with the letters out of yeah. uh, ca- capitalized. Where did you see him throw the Lombardi Trophy yes, over open water to Gronk? <laughs> oh my gosh! Even Gronk was like, "What are you doing?" If Gronk's like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. If Gronk you, is the over-served. voice of reason, yeah. like, "Whoa, just hold on a minute. Let's just think about this. You're <laughs> you're in trouble. Let's think things through." Tom. But Super Bowl Sunday, just the food. The getting together, having fun. Um, usually the game's really good, pretty yeah, good. It usually the halftime is. show's usually pretty good, but the commercials even this year weren't that good. And usually the, I, there's people that love Super Bowl Sunday that don't even care about football. They're just like, oh, I just want to watch the commercials. And it's hard to blame them sometimes, but yeah, I mean that's uh, Super Bowl Sunday's number two on my list too, and it obviously was we got like a fraction of the experience this year because not only was the game just basically 
Hey, uh, everybody's excited for this game. Yeah, it sucks. Only Tom Brady will be happy at the end. Like, cool. He never gets what he wants. But it, it wasn't just that the game was awful. Like, you you really couldn't have. I, I've, I've said this before on the show. I love having, like, 15, 20 people together to watch the Super Bowl. And, yeah, like, three or four or five of them are only there for the commercials. But whatever. Somebody's always invested and people get up and get food. It's just, it's, just, it's a great vibe. And it obviously wasn't the way this year. And I, I the other thing I used to do for the Super Bowl, like, three, four years ago, there was a group of like five or six of us that would go to Vegas for the game. And so you're just watching in some sports book and everybody's got prop bets, just craziness. The so. people watching there must be the best oh. thing ever, too. Yeah, because you, you have the people coin flip. Are, no! Yeah, exactly. No! Every single thing somebody Tales never fails, I was told. <laughs> somebody in the sports book is bet on everything. You know what I mean? Everything yeah, that yeah. happens, somebody's really happy or really miserable. It's great. All right. Number one on my list is the first full day of March Madness. Not the first four in. That's no. cool, too. That's fine. fine. That's why I get to watch but ASU. The first, when there are like a bajillion games on five different channels, I'm looking at my bracket uh, it's I, I there's nothing nothing better than that. No. I and you know me how big of a baseball fan I am. You probably thought MLB opening day would be number 1 for me, but yeah. this I this is so much fun. I remember being in school and at, at ASU at Cronkite and we they had the games on the big projector in the First Amendment forum, and then we're trying to find the score of another game because they didn't change the channel. We run into a classroom, log onto a computer, and find a stream of it. It's just because <laughs> we care so much. It's 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 so much fun. It's crazy and insane. It's just so much fun. It's sports at its most pure. I, March Madness Day 1 is, uh, is number one on my list, too. It kind of proves the point that they shouldn't have moved it, but whatever. I mean, that will still carry over. Like, this year, Friday, day one of March Madness, will just be what Thursday is all always been for me but the thing is the friday is usually pretty good too and now that's just not it's saturday it's just different you're not missing work to watch sports there's something pure about I that i appreciate too. them trying to improve mondays but mondays already suck enough yeah so and come on i remember uh i don't remember it's like three or four years ago we did the uh the the brackets here and vince Murata had iowa state in his final four which was a legitimate pick and they, that they happened lost, to me one year too. They lost the first game of the tournament, and and I mean it could only happen to Vince, right? And that's just the most Vince thing ever. But I just remember getting a text like, "Well, tournament's been going for two hours, and my bracket's destroyed." So everybody, when have your fun bracket this year. gets busted in the morning, yeah, yeah that's, that's a just good so feeling. fun. All right, that's going to do it for us again. Uh, March Madness better start on Thursday a year from now. I get it this year, but uh, this uh, should not be permanent. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Craig Morgan for calling in. I'm Luke Lipinski. Suns Bucks next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.